All right, my friends, episode 55, sponsored by Rockwool and April Air. If you're not familiar with these companies, two great companies that I've been working with for a long time. Now, April Air, you probably don't realize their catalog is actually quite a bit bigger than just the pleated media filters that I've been using for, gosh, 20 years in the houses that I build. You should definitely be using those if you're not already, but they also have a whole catalog of uh, air-related products for your house. Uh, including, I've just started using their dehumidifiers as well. Uh, terrific company, big, big catalog. You should definitely check them out. And of course, Rockwell, longtime friends and sponsors of the podcast. We even call it the Rockwell Studios. Uh, but this is a company that uh, I've been involved with for many years now. They make some really top of the line insulation that you've probably seen my videos has a few points that really make it different and better than their competitors out there in the marketplace especially uh, things like being vapor open, fire resistant, um, water phobic, or water kind of runs off it like water off a duck's back. Just a lot of reasons to use Rockwool. So with that being said, big thanks to our sponsors, April Air and Rockwool. Today's podcast from the Rockwool Studios in Austin, Texas. Let's get going. All right, my friends, welcome back to another episode of the Build Show podcast. That's right, my weekly time to get together with you guys and go deep. You know, when we make YouTube videos, of which I just made one with Christoph, uh, literally like two hours ago, out of one of our job sites, uh, there's only so much time. I'm always like, gosh, I'm limited on time. People only have so much attention span on YouTube. But in the podcast studio, we can go longer. And that's exactly what we're going to do now. This is a bit of a companion podcast to the episode we just shot, which I'm not sure when these will get published, but uh, look for the YouTube episode, the Build Show Network episode with Christoph Irwin talking about getting upstream on the design to affect the building and its design so that when I get to build the house, when the builder gets to build the house, things are in place already for a well-built, well-constructed house with a good HVAC system with comfort of the occupants in mind, with efficiency in mind, all those things. And this is kind of precipitated from, my guess is if you're a builder listening to this, the years of angst for getting a, uh, sorry for the crassness, the turd of a set of plans that may look beautiful, but you're like, gosh, where am I going to put the mechanical systems? There's no room for ducks anywhere. There's no mechanical rooms. There's no thought for the comfort of the occupants with these giant walls of glass. How can I possibly cool this down in July? Or how can they be warm enough in this house in December? And that's kind of the genesis of that video and ultimately this companion podcast. Longest longest intro ever, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> with that being said, from the Rockwell Studios in Austin, Texas, let's get going. All right, guys, y'all have met my friend Christoph Irwin probably before. Christoph, you've been, um, we've been friends and we've been building together since about 07, 08, 09, yeah. something like that. Since we were kids. <laughs> it does feel that way uh, for many, many years. And if you don't know Christoph, Christoph is a PE, he's an engineer. Um, he literally has a rocket science background. Probably the smartest. I worked in a wind tunnel. Let's just be clear. Yeah. Uh, very, very smart guy. But he, um, you've probably seen him on the Build Show in the past uh, in specifically talking about HVAC design. Mm -hmm. You know, for years, he and his company, Positive Energy, 
uh, have done all the mechanical designs on my houses. Uh, not just the manual J, which is like, what size do I need? But duct layout, equipment selection, diffuser selection, and the harder part of all that, which is how do I get all this duct to run through a 3D building with these framing and engineering plans? And that's uh, that's where his company absolutely shines yeah. and is head and shoulders above every other mechanical HVAC designer that I've ever seen. But what we're talking about today, Christoph, uh, is a little bit of a companion piece to our YouTube video, uh, which I think is kind of funny because when we started talking about this, you prefaced our conversation with, uh, Matt, do you still say on the videos uh, dedicated to building science and fine craftsmanship? Yeah. Uh, which I haven't used that terminology in a while, but if there's any OG uh, YouTube subscribers, you know, when I started this YouTube channel in 08, somehow there, I've I've accumulated a few phrases and let's get going and on the build show and my falsetto voice have stuck, but I kind of have ditched for, for whatever reason, dedicated to building science and fine craftsmanship, although I would say that I still am no, dedicated I was gonna ask that. to those. Um, so with that in mind, Christoph, um, lead me uh, to this point of how do we get upstream? How do we affect these buildings before you as a mechanical designer, let's say, get a set of plans that's you're like, gosh, this is going to be a really hard building to yeah. design for, to heat and cool, to keep these occupants comfortable. And by the way, the occupants, the homeowners are the ones paying you usually. Yeah. Uh, and how do I as a builder get upstream on that? Mm -hmm. That's good. So there's actually a lot to unpack. And so just to give you like a, a sense of it. So you just mentioned um, there's no room for ducts, right? So you know, building sciences, the laws of science uh, applied to a home, and the laws of science include thermodynamics and fluid dynamics, you know, so the architect might not have left room, but the laws of physics say there needs to be room. Mm -hmm. And so here's the thing, and here's what I really want to unpack with you. We, we just had a great discussion in your truck. Yeah, we did. It was great. And wish we would have recorded that. I wish we'd recorded that too, so I hope we can touch on a lot of those same themes. But what I'm getting at is building science is considered to be the physical sciences applied to home. Well, the physical sciences, sciences create an impasse where the architect says, here's my architectural expression, and the laws of physics say, I need a duct that won't fit into that expression. So what happens is suddenly now it's a social science or a psychological science that needs to come to the fore, and what unlocks it is what, how do you set up the relationship with the architect based on trust and mutual respect, mm -hmm. so that when you say, I need room, you can get more room. Or how do you ask for more room? How do you mm -hmm. lead them to see for themselves that you need more room? Isn't that fascinating? Where yeah, it's, it's like, fascinating. we think of buildings like, there's there's actually something in, in the human brain. There's an endorphin associated, a pleasure chemical. It's, 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 this is so wild. It's associated with the anticipation of the cessation of a problem or a cessation of craving. So it isn't associated with, I no longer want uh, crave this, I no longer have this problem. You feel happy as soon as you know that a solution exists. Mm. That is wild. That's interesting. Yeah, so it's this anticipation of the cessation of craving. And the point is, building science as a field, and, I, and this we should go to here next, it is saying, here's how you build a good building. And so what happens in the industry is, oh, we know how to build a good building. Ah, that feels so good. Mm -hmm. We've solved the problem. False. 
we don't need to know how to build a good building. We need to, you and I, need to know how to cause a good building to exist. Yes, for sure. Yeah, so. Because we have knowledge of how to build a good building, but we don't always get to affect the design or the desires of the homeowner or whatever. And so often you and I, as, you know, let's say the mechanical designer or me as the builder, have to take what we're given and make the best of it. Right. And sometimes the making the best of it will satisfy their desires. Other times it'll satisfy them short term, but not long term. And we were actually having that discussion a minute ago. You yeah. know, some clients that were satisfied short term with whatever, the aesthetics, the budget, the whatever, but then long term were dissatisfied. Yeah. Uh, and that's where this building science and frankly, craftsmanship, I think, comes into play as well. For instance, uh, we'll leave out the names, but we were talking about uh, a project that we knew of that you knew right from the get go. Once you kind of figured out who was building it and, and the contractors involved, that it probably wasn't going to satisfy the homeowner long term. Mm-hmm. And you said, look, you should spend more to get a better qualified contractor with better equipment, with better manpower better everything involved and the client said no i just don't have the budget for that and you said okay i mean you do you do what you need to do but i think you're going to be disappointed and sure enough when it was all said and done things did not turn out the way the client had hoped you absolutely called it and yet they didn't listen to you as the expert that they shouldn't have yeah and and you know i I, it would be nice if you could just point blame and single people out and say oh we have um, people saying, you know, inappropriately managing their their practices or something. But the reality is that you and I are professionals involved in the construction industry, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm an engineer consultant. You're you're a builder. You're also more than that. We can talk about that. You're you're a information flow network is what you are. But I like that. so architects, engineers, and construction, right? The AEC industry is what mm-hmm. we're part of. That's architects, engineering, and construction, and that industry particularly the construction side of it, it's populated by people that'll, that will, they know, they know their industry, right? The reality is they know the past of their industry Mm -hmm. and they know the way things are done conventionally or normally. And so it takes a lot of humility and a lot of kind of soul searching to go, could it be that there's a better way to do things? Mm -hmm. Could it be that for many years, maybe even decades of my life, I've actually been engaging in practices that can be rethought. And and the answer, the good news is, you know, it's com- the good news is it's complicated. That's not it. The, the good news is that, yes, there are people that do that. And so what's happened is, as a company, Positive Energy, well, just very briefly. So we are a building science company. We're dedicated to building science. Yep. Right? And yet no one looks you know, on the internet to find a building science company generally to help you with enclosure design or mechanical design or indoor air quality or resilient energy systems. So we became a mechanical designer. Mm-hmm. And then we've expanded. Because that's quantifiable, right? right? Like, oh, I need someone to design my HVAC, right? Exactly. I need that in my commercial building. I should have that in my residential building. Right. And that became the, like, the toehold in the industry. We did mm-hmm. mechanical designs. Meanwhile, we're doing mechanical designs for two reasons. One is it's a toehold in the industry. People recognize that. Two is... Generally speaking, in residential HVAC, there isn't very much design. There's, it's mainly a build. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, design build, but lowercase d, uppercase b, or whatever. And there's a lot of really high, highly skilled, you know, disciplined installing contractors, very smart, hardworking. And even in that context, those people often love to work with us and refer us into their projects. Yeah. Because 
we can go upstream. So, so I'm, I'm actually losing my own train of thought. So we got into that mechanical design because there was a compelling need in the industry. As building science consultants, what we mainly did was we went to homes where kids were developing asthma, where elderly people knew whenever they traveled, they slept better, and why don't they sleep well at home, <laughs> where there were hardwood <laughs> floors that were cupping, where there were moisture issues, i.e. mold and mildew in the home, right? So mm -hmm. we got to see those over and over and over. Guess what was the problem, right? It was that energy code had changed, the building physics had changed, but the HVAC installers hadn't changed their practices, yep. right? And, you know, it's mainly moisture control problems. And the builders that hired them. Yeah, and you know, they, so keep in mind, let's, let's make sure the listeners know, we're not vilifying people here. No, right? this is this, is This was the situation on the ground. Yep. And, um, you know, what you could say is there have been, well, I can say that I have had literal cuss words aimed at me from the podium giving a talk like to the HBA and installing contractors and their GCs saying, there's no problem. You're full of it. Mm. You know, if there was a problem, I'd know about it. Meanwhile, like some of those same homes, I am knowing about it because their clients are calling me. <laughs> the clients don't think about calling their builder, certainly not three to five years later. And that was maybe a little more than I, I, I need to go to toward like blaming. But the point being that the industry culture is is like an inertia of position and it doesn't want to change because people are protecting their, they're protecting status quo, the status quo relationships. I mean, industry culture is one reason why polyurethane spray foam has made its way through the industry so rapidly because you just call a different person, they install a different project pro, uh, product I didn't really have to fundamentally rethink my building. That's right. Which if I want a high quality air control layer and I don't do spray foam, now what do I have to do? I got to have to fundamentally building. rethink my building. Yeah. I got to go to perfect wall. Let's yeah, say. Exactly. And, 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 you know, or monopoly framing as I called it on my house, but same thing. Yeah. That's a good way to say it. There's yeah. And I don't want to dominate this conversation. Please. Chime no, this in. is good. I, go back I have to a place I want to leave how do to. we go upstream though? Yeah, exactly. Because that's where we that's where I want to go with this. And that's where we spend time on the video. Like, what could we do if we got involved, you in particular, maybe even me, got involved when there was just a concept of a house, just a what the architects call a schematic design, which is basically a floor plan and maybe an elevation, and that's it. Yeah. What if we hired you? to give us the full mill building science look at the house to go, all right, how would this house perform if we take this house in this rough concept and take it down through an actual construction drawing? Yeah, exactly. And are there some changes, tweaks, window sizes, orientation, shading, whatever that we could do at that stage? So take Absolutely, it yeah. So yeah, you set me up perfectly. So Positive Energy Building Science Company, we've now split into offering two sets of services one is engineering. So we're in a really solid engineering company. We offer mechanical, electrical, plumbing, electrical master plans, solar design, battery design, water, you know, resilient water systems, right? So that's on the engineering side. But very excitingly, about three and a half years ago, we've started doing what we call performance consulting. And performance consulting is exactly what you said. We start out with the passive systems, the enclosure systems. So there's two kind of moments in the passive systems, which is the visual comfort, the visual qualities of the space, daylighting, glare, um, illuminance, and then the same windows, right? We've talked about that. Windows are expensive in the beginning. They're expensive in the middle. They're expensive in the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we think, okay, where are the windows located? What are those impacts on thermal comfort and visual comfort? 
Then we can look at the, the non-glass sections of the wall. And actually, we can look at window specs too. But like classic enclosure consulting is what are your layers? What are your materials? What is your rain, air, vapor, thermal control mm -hmm. layers? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and now it's in what chemical exposures will my owners get from these products and how are these going to impact the microbiome and indoor air quality. But that is all passive stuff in the sense that you build it once and then it does its job. It doesn't need a high quality energy source like natural gas, propane, or electricity. So that's the first thing we do is passive systems analysis. And we could dig deeper into it, but fundamentally it's comfort and health mm -hmm. and durability. I love it. And then carbon is in there too, carbon, um, bodied carbon content. Then we do active systems consulting, and this is huge. Active systems consulting is fantastic because it's because of not necessarily so much what it is, which is pretty cool, but when it is. It is happening when the project is at concept or SD. And ideally, before the architect has shown the plans to the clients and the clients have swooned, and at that moment, the, pl the, the plans are no longer flexible or fluid. And, le and let me just <laughs> expand upon that. Because what you're doing at this point, and we just did this on our project together that we shot the video on, is you're, you're kind of giving a pre-mechanical layout to go, we're going to need this size furnace. We're going to need this heat rough pump. or heat pump. Sorry. <laughs> this will, I just call furnace generically, but yes, this heat pump, this rough duck size. How do we put that in the space? Yeah. So for instance, the project we just came from, it was a Benson wood shell and you at the schematic design were like, we're going to need a trunk line. That's an 18. I don't know what it was. Let's yeah, call it an 18. We gave trunk you three line. choices. If it's 10 inches wide, it needs to be 12 inches tall. If it's 12 inches wide, it, you know, so we gave choices. And then the architect in this case, Lake Flato then went back to his design, their design and Benson Wood and said, all right, Let's could we put this. that inside the envelope? Could we still have this flat ceiling we're looking for, but have all that duct work below the insulation, below the air, uh, control layer and they were able to do it and so what what i'm thinking about is how cool would it be in other projects whether it's traditional or modern or anything in between for you to get to get this i need this 24 by five foot tall box <laughs> which happens to be a, a i'm handler. calling it a furnace an air handler heat pump how are we going to not only service that but change filters um, put a new one in install in 25 it. years, install mm -hmm. it to begin yeah. with, uh, you know, peanut butter, all the seams, uh, <laughs> which is, uh, duct, uh, duct mastic. Sorry. I always call it peanut butter and get an installer in there. That's when we're able to then go, you know, we need more than just a mechanical closet. That's like a dust broom closet. We need like some space to work on this. Yeah, there's no magic genie that'll cause the system to appear in that closet. Exactly. So let's design that to begin with, rather than hiding it behind all these access panels, which are a huge pain in the butt to get to later or whatever. Yeah. Let's actually put a room in this house. And then we're at schematic design. People aren't so locked into the floor plan. What if we took this space, which was your hall closet, instead made that a mechanical room yeah. or whatever? Yeah, that's huge. Mm -hmm. We've been really lucky in the sense that um, that we can find architects that recognize, and, and there are a lot of them out there that recognize that the architectural design process itself can lead to good outcomes mm -hmm. if they if they invest early on in this kind of thinking. You're yeah. you're exactly right. So, what what's what, what, what I want to do, like taking this back to the very beginning of the podcast, dedicated to building science and fine craftsmanship. So building science, what you would think of classically is how do the walls go together? How, 
what in what sequence do you install them? Where does the flashing go in? Where's the vapor barrier? Where's the vapor barrier? And now expanded building science says, yeah, that's interesting. And that's that's necessary to cause a good building to exist. It's not sufficient to cause a good building to exist. What we're involved in is like a next level of building science, which is how does the architect and the engineer and consultants, how do they fit together? Mm -hmm. What information flows to who and when, who said what to who? And so what happened, another thing that happened on that Bensonwood house, which I think we should put a pin in this and say, because it was a Bensonwood house, prefab construction designed offsite, everyone agreed, yeah, we gotta get this right. We have that, to do it. That again. that exigency shouldn't only apply to prefab homes. 100%. We should get it right on all homes. We shouldn't yes. say, you know what? You know what we're going to do the mechanical system? We're going to put the structure up, and then we're going to come in and figure it out. And then I have no idea where the ducts are going to go, but we'll figure out how to snake it through there. Right. And then, and, 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 you know, flex duct is uh, infinitely forgiving, supposedly, and you can do whatever <laughs> origami you can you need to do with it. So, yeah, so building science is, is simply systems theory applied to homes, and what's really exciting about the, the teams that we work with at Positive Energy are the system that we are all consciously working on is the system of how we work together, yep. right? That's profound. That, that's a big deal. And it's not just a big deal in that sense, but like, so I, we did passive systems, active systems, uh, and we didn't talk about the last one is resilient energy and water systems. So mm. we live in an era where many people recognize that you can't just say, oh, I'm connected to the grid and that's good, right? The pricing, the quality, the availability of energy and water are less reliable than they used to be. As, yeah. a, as a nation, we're trillions of dollars of investment behind in maintaining those systems. So the point is, passive active resilient systems consulting happens early on while the design is still fluid. And what else is happening there? Well, the enclosure impacts the, the, the quality of the enclosure from a thermal and air perspective, impacts the sizing of the heating and cooling systems, which impacts the needs of the resilient systems, right? So what is happening is positive energy can take all of that and basically like solving simultaneous equations. Like we can kind of solve it all together and do permutations on the enclosure and look at the mechanical system impact. So cool. And just just a one quick thing on the mechanical systems, we, you and I have just done this. It is common in our industry and it is unfortunate I think I would love mechanical systems to stop being about heating and cooling, which is, you know, heat pumps, heat and cool. They, they source heat from outside in the winter and bring it to the home, and they source heat from inside and send it out of the home, which is cooling, which is important. It's also like, oh, you want to yawn a little and go, of course I'm going to heat and cool the house. How am I going to ventilate the air? How am I going to filter the air? How am I going to dry the air or, or, or bring more moisture in if needed, which is rarely needed in our climate? And filtration is a case in point where Filtration is like I don't know if you know this, but the like the number one like pollutant exposure in our society is is air. Mm. We we breathe in thirty pounds of it a day, um, more than we eat or drink, twelve to sixteen times a minute. The business end of air is oxygen. Air goes into my blood and from my blood into every tissue and cell. So fundamentally, we're never more intimate with anything that we build in a home except for the air, and yet who's responsible for the quality of the air, right? Is it the architect? Is mm-hmm. it the builder? Is it the mechanical installer? Which I think it is the mechanical installer. And we've just had, and this is another, like where you take the societal overlay and COVID has been a terrible crisis for our, our community, our world. And yet it has woken people up to say, invisible threats to my health can be real. Yeah. Many people, there's still people that don't believe it. And I'm going to take air seriously. Yeah, I'm just swimming. I, I love your uh, uh, yeah. your fish example. You know, if you're fish, fish 
<laughs> if your fish is swimming in polluted water, you feel bad for the fish. Yeah. And yet we're swimming in polluted water all day long yeah. in this fluid yeah. that we call Our air. Better living through chemistry. Yeah. Uh, and so we just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not affecting you. Once again, and that's a beautiful point. So get, that gets me back again. So there's another thing. So I, so as an engineer, as a problem solver, as someone who who really feels like society should ask for more from their homes, mm -hmm. right? Of course, you want visual, spatial, economic outcomes, fit and finish technology. Why not ask for your bedroom to be a sleep system? Why not ask for resilient energy and water systems? Why not ask for durability? Why not ask your home to actually support the environmental ecosystems upon which we all depend, right? But there's this interesting thing where as a mammal, psychologically, we are resistant. This is pretty profound. <laughs> it's funny you say it before you say it. As a, as a human, we are resistant to the idea that we can't perceive, we cannot perceive threats to our health and well-being. Mm -hmm, so I'll say it again. We, we resist the idea that there are things that can hurt us that we can't see. So because in other words, suddenly, if it's not a wolf on the it. edge of the uh, forest, which uh, you can see. Which you can see. It's other things that we can't see invisible that are microbes as much as a threat. Invisible viruses. Yeah, exactly. And so that's one of the reasons. I mean, in, I mean, mold, we could go down the path of why mold is bad for us. But let's just say indoor mold exposures cause harm. They cause negative health outcomes yep. in most people for, for known reasons, known yeah. causations, which is profound. It is also true that you can smell mold and you can see mold, mm -hmm. bringing it to the top of the list of things that we believe are threats. Many indoor air quality scientists today say, yeah, mold is a, is a health impact as part of the entire expanse of indoor microecology of which mold is one player among mm -hmm. bacteria, viruses, protozoa, archaea, many things that are causing negative health outcomes. But most of them were like, they don't matter because I can't perceive them can't with my it. native senses. Right. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, and so, you know, bringing it back. So building science is, is systems thinking applied to homes, and it's been physical systems, chemistry, biology, um, physics. And we are, you are in a space, and we are, we are right now in a space where it is information flow systems are impacting the ability to take that information that's in building science and cause it to have greater impact in our society. Mm -hmm. That's profound. Like, like you can imagine each person listening to this, you know, you're like a synapse in the brain and they're the adjacent synapse and the neural signal has gone from one to another. So you're helping create like thoughts in the societal mind. Mm -hmm. And I know that's kind of out there, but that's really what building science has the potential to do because building science, when you say dedicated to building science, you were thinking rain, air, vapor, thermal. But really what you're saying is seeing the home as a system mm -hmm. and all I'm saying is what positive energy has done is see the design and construction of the home as a system that can be optimized to give the outcomes we know we want. That's right. And all that, I think, falls under the umbrella of craftsmanship. Ah. Craftsmanship is not just making tight miters uh, and things looking visually good, which ultimately, I think, mm. everyone has some version of understanding, right? We can go into a house and go, man, this house looks really good. I like it. And you may not know what it is. It actually might be a really good paint job or, uh, or you know, space. beautiful countertops or the space. Mm -hmm. What they can't see that's behind the walls and behind the scenes makes more of a difference to their health outcome, to the durability of the house. All those systems are hidden from our clients. And most of the time they don't know what's happening there. 
But more and more, people are listening to podcasts like ours or like yours, by the way. These guys have an amazing uh, Building Science podcast called the Building Science Podcast. Building Science Podcast. We gotta uh, get you people are watching my YouTube videos. And in fact, my YouTube video I'm publishing today, Christoph, uh, is one where I went out to a builder's job site in Houston when I was down there speaking at the HBA. And funny enough, the guard in the guard shack at the gated neighborhood recognized me <laughs> as Matt Reisinger, the builder on YouTube, and couldn't believe I was coming in. That's cool. That was so cool. And then when I get there, both the homeowner and the builder were fans of the show. And I could tell by looking at the house under construction, they had watched like every video. So much so that some of the mistakes I made on my house, they had corrected them on this house under construction and gone one step beyond awesome. me in several places. Like I made a mistake where uh, my cabinet guy put a screw in the back of my plastic in-wall toilet tank. And this builder nice. had taken the step of getting a 16-gauge piece of metal inset into the wall behind his tank so that when his finished carpenter, drywall, or whatever came, there's no way they could pop a screw in the back of the tank. I was blown away. And it was that aha moment that made me really smile and think, you know, I've been making I've made a lot of videos over the years and now I've made a lot of podcasts. And yes, I get paid. We have sponsors. Um, but what I really care about is changing the conversation about well-built houses. And incidentally, we're seeing That's that happen. Fine craftsmanship. And that is craftsmanship. Right? I agree completely. You, you just said craftsmanship is more than the miter, which is mean, how did something come together? How does the whole house come together? And that that fundamentally isn't just and we would love it to just be a material solution. Like, oh, you picked the right materials and assemble them in the right it's way. It's not. It's more like you pick the right materials and you make sure the right information got to the right person at the right time. Yeah. And so what we've done with the performance consulting department, and by the way, just we have tremendously talented, hardworking, intelligent, motivated people. And yeah, which you do. which you can't you can't underestimate the power of human caring mm -hmm. and human exertion, right? No. So, so what we've said is that how do things come together? We've moved it upstream and we have a lot of architects that say, I love this. We need, I'm glad you're showing me that I'm creating glare with that window, right? E even architects that say, oh, I know daylighting. And then we show them and they're like, oh, I thought I knew daylighting. <laughs> um, and then sim similarly with, with thermal comfort, right? And, and so- You said something, um, um, slight tangent, but I think it's worth please, talking about. You it. said this on the job site just a little bit ago that I, I can't remember who made the video, but- we were talking about windows and window to wall ratios and uh, whether blinds inside or outside made a yeah, difference. Yeah. And at the house that we just visited, there was a fair amount of glass in the master bedroom and there's a fair amount of glass in the kind of living room main space that has a killer view. The rest of the house has pretty modest glass. I yeah, think yeah. you mentioned it was like 20% wall to window ratio. So 20% mm -hmm. glass, 80% wall. It's window to wall ratio. Window to wall ratio. There you go. So uh, windows would be 20% of the walls in a room. There you go. And in the master, which had a higher, like 40%, let's say, um, there was a fair amount of load through the glass, meaning there would be sun that would hit the glass. And even with uh, a high or a low, whatever the solar heat gain coefficient is, a 0.2 solar heat gain coefficient, we still have 80, or pardon me, still have 20% of the energy making it through that glass. And so one thing early on you said was, hey, we should consider exterior shading in this location so that if we wanted to cut down on that heat load, we could do it with an outside shade. Yeah. And I think 99.99% of America thinks of shades on the inside <laughs> as cutting that down. But you said, no, you know, if you think about it, maybe you're going to cut down the glare for your eyes, 
But every BTU that goes through that glass and hits that interior shade is still heating the house. It made it into the house. And made it into, it made it past that glass. And so by doing exterior shades, we're preventing that from hitting the glass to begin with and from coming into the house. And what struck me, I'm going on a huge tangent here, but a couple of years ago, I went to Europe for the very first time. And I saw in Switzerland and then in Germany, all those houses were built with exterior shades. Part of the reason was, I assume, they had interior tilt turn windows that 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 were kind of like a casement that came into the building. Mm-hmm. And so a shade would get knocked out of the way if it was an inside shade. But a big part of that was they wanted to cut down on the light transmission, even hitting the glass to begin with. And they had these thick exterior building shells that allowed them to do exterior shades. And it was like a given, like, of course we're going to do exterior shades. Where else would we put them, you dumb American? <laughs> uh, and when I went to the Bal Show, which is their version of yeah. the International Builder Show, the real International Builder Show, there was manufacturer after manufacturer that had solutions for these exterior shades, which in they America... Have rollers and louvers. They have everything. In America, is really just a box that you bolt onto the outside of the wall that's ugly and drops down. But in Europe, they're all hidden. They're all thought of. The architect, the builder, they've all designed it, and it happens, and it, it's kind of auto-magically happening on those buildings. Auto-magically, that's good. Uh, yeah, I, I need to correct something I said, just in case there's like a hawkish uh, close listener out there. Please. I said window-to-wall ratio, like a 20% window-to-wall ratio would be that the windows were 20% of the uh, area, the walls of the room. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's the outside. It's from the outside. Right? So okay. it's 20% of the exterior walls because it doesn't matter if the, the wall between your room and the closet right, has right, a window there you in go. it. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good uh, just, just to get that. But yeah, so 20 to 40% is a good window-to-wall ratio and go to downtown Austin today, right? Look at the, the newer buildings, right? They're 100% <laughs> glass, right? Except for where maybe you need some structure. Canyons of glass, steel, and concrete at a time when we know that the materials that we need to wean ourselves off of are what? Glass, steel, steel and concrete. concrete. Yeah, so so dumb. I I don't get it, and 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 frankly, this is getting out of our out of this is maybe more of a tangent, and this is a hard place to go. But what is it that's causing that, right? Because there's developer driven, mm-hmm. developers follow societal appetites. Yeah. yeah. So fundamentally, it's people that live there are saying, you know, the the relational signaling I get to live in this or work in this building. Keep in mind, we're mammals again. We fundamentally seek safety through relational belonging, and we use our homes, buildings, cars, solar panels, clothing to signal relational belonging to Mm -hmm. a certain social group. So you go live in those buildings. What are you signaling? Like, I am in a glass building. I made it. I am now uh, free of the vicissitudes of nature, right? Mm -hmm. I can use high-quality fuels and be hot in the winter and cold in the summer. Uh, I've gone way off a tangent. I'll reel myself back in a little bit of virtue but i don't know how to solve virtue that. signaling yeah. frankly yeah 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 i did some relational signaling just then it's, right it's there. a whole nother uh podcast probably um but i've heard joe steberg talk on this and he of course in his much more uh vulgar way talks about how we have these super glass buildings today that are lead gold certified and yet if you look at the buildings that were built in the 50s or 60s let's say that had a more normal 40% window to wall ratio, they're much more energy efficient, even though they're 60 years old or 70 years yeah. old. They're frankly better to look at too. Yeah. And I like the architecture of some of those old yeah. buildings. And some of these big glass buildings look like a Me Too building that anyone could have designed. Like I could have designed that, just make a glass building. Okay, great, a square 
high rise tower. It looks the same as the last square high rise tower. That's all glass yeah. and curtain wall. Go live in the Apple store. And even if you make it triple glazed, you're still only going to get maybe what R6 or R7 out of some triple glazed glass. Now, okay, twelve or something. R10 glass. Whereas that wall right there with just some cheap rock wool insulation and some studs might be an R10 uh, average R value with some two by fours and some rock wool that cost how many dollars per square foot compared to this really expensive yeah, high tech yeah. glass. And, you know, and frankly, this is like sounds a little blasphemous, but the concept of energy efficiency can lead us astray because I can have a, um, a, a coefficient of performance on a heat pump of three and a half, which means it's 350% efficient. We means it takes one unit of electrical energy to create three units of heat energy mm -hmm. right? or move three units of energy out or to cool it. Point is, that's very energy efficient. If I put that in an all glassy home and I can I call the home energy efficient, you know, what you kind of want to say is, what was your energy use? Mm -hmm. How much energy did you use? So we've we've entered a place, you know, it's kind of like, a, what was it, Brer Rabbit or something, don't throw me in the briar patch. It's kind of <laughs> like industry for a long time has been championing energy efficiency uh -huh. because, yeah, you know why? I can constantly upgrade and sell new products and get uh -huh. the better product. All the while forgetting, like, well, yes, if I'm comparing um, two buildings, one both that have 25% window-to-wall ratios, then it makes sense to go with the more energy-efficient cooling mm -hmm. system, mm -hmm. right? But if I'm comparing two, I mean, it still makes more sense to go with the energy-efficient cooling system. But what I'm saying is the words energy-efficient, to say you have an energy-efficient home, don't that's not sufficient doesn't to automatically say mean it's good. It's, yeah. it's appropriate it's well to, to the it's long smart term. to yeah. have built that to begin with. Right, exactly. And it doesn't also mean that your clients are going to be comfortable or like living there ultimately. Yeah, and that, that's right? a big one. I mean, so, you know, a lot of what we do on the visual and thermal comfort consulting at the very early end is talk about shading, talk about external shading, talk mm -hmm. about moving clear stories, talk about reducing skylights or shading skylights, making them clear stories and stuff, things like that. And... um in that role, I mean, our architects, fortunately, have not said this to us, but I feel like, gosh, how can we pull back from sounding like we're anti-glass or we're the glass police? <laughs> um, because what, what we're really saying is you're going to, like, what do buildings do? Like, let's say, what, a, what, a, what is the function of a home? The function of a home it's an environmental is, is to separator, be a shelter. Right? It's an environmental separator. It's also shelter. It's also a place where a family goes to be together as a family and yes. they want to they want to be together and they don't want to be distracted by being hot or cold yep. or having glare. Yep. So in that sense, what we're really saying is what do homes do? Homes serve people to live their lives and um, you don't want glare and thermal comfort issues. And so be careful with the glass. So I kind of sprawled that out. But we, uh, we, we do sound like the glass police, but yeah, one, I don't want to sound like that. One last glass police comment, which I thought was fun. Daniel Glauser, who we hung out with today, one of my yeah. project managers, said, you know what bugs me about some of these downtown buildings? And, and he was actually talking about his own house uh, because he's doing a big remodel on his 60s house. And the architect had specified some floor-to-ceiling glass in one section. He's like, I don't want that. Like, there's no good view there. I don't need that. It's more expensive. Why don't you just cut it down so it's like from the waist to just above my mm -hmm. eyeballs so mm -hmm. I can get a vignette when I come by here rather than floor-to-ceiling? And I thought, you know, there's a there's a lot of uh, truth in that, that we sometimes yeah, absolutely. build these buildings on a computer and look at them at a SketchUp model, and we forget 
the environment the building's going into. Yeah, yeah. And that we just need light to come through there most of the time. And a lot of buildings that we build have no views of anything that you want to see out yeah. the window. And, and yeah, and they were <laughs> and building as a them. result, that yeah. sun tunnel that you spoke, we talked about this <laughs> earlier, a sun tunnel, which is a, a you know, tube, eight yeah. inch, yeah, or solar tube, which maybe is an eight inch opening, would give us plenty of lumens, natural lumens, changing light, depending mm -hmm. on the how the day goes. You could get it into the deep recesses of the house. That'd probably give you every bit or more than some big piece of glass that's yeah. really expensive. Yeah, we, we seem to forget that we're putting um, very sensitive human mammalian bodies into these homes. So I'm coated with tens of thousands of thermal receptors. I have two very sensitive eyes, but you know what? They're only on my head. Mm -hmm. They're not on my ankles, <laughs> right? And so we seem to forget that when we're designing it, that like, no, this is actually a place where we're going to put people and to really do what's human factor design. And just one thing I always like to stress, just to remind people, um, I guess, two, one and a half things. One is homes need to be beautiful and glass helps that, mm -hmm. right? We love to have a connection to nature. For sure. And For so sure. key view moments, having a trophy room, having a big area of the home that's completely, makes you feel intimately connected with the outside. I am totally not against that. Yeah, no, me I'm too. against doing it everywhere. Right. But yeah. one thing that I like to remind people that like, Okay, so there's your 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 kind of your story of who you are, your ego, you know, oh, this house is great because I have glass everywhere. That's the connection to nature that I want. Coming back to your native biology, what your body wants as far as a connection to nature is fresh, filtered, but fresh outdoor air. Yeah, that's right. Right. So this is an interesting right. thing. Like it's that actually that mass of air that's outside that you want inside. And of course, you want to temper the humidity and the heat mm -hmm. out before you bring it in or heat it up a little. Um so, having having yeah. built a really good house recently oh, with your help incredible. Uh, and lived in a not very good 70s house prior, it is a world of difference. Acoustic Christoph. differences too. Acoustic, thermal, uh, air fresh air, sleep quality. I'm 100% on board that, that a really well-built building can change uh, your quality of life inside the building. And I have young kids. Uh, we love spending time at home. Even some details like, uh, I mentioned this on a podcast earlier this week. I have wood ceilings in a bunch of places in my house. And my wife was like, why don't we sit over there more often uh, in this place that's like a big white box of painted drywall? And and I was like, I don't know. You know, this is less comfortable. The seating's less good here. And later I thought, you know, I wonder if it's because I just love that space. I have a wood ceiling. I have a great view to the outside in this one little spot. I have a 10-foot wide uh, lift and slide door that's triple glazed. I get to view from the outside. So even though the seating in my dining room is not very good, it just feels really good in that spot in my house. Isn't that cool? Uh, and kind of everything happened right there. Mm. Whereas my living room's fine, uh, but the big white sheetrock walls don't feel that great. They feel a little too tall for mm. me. My little cozy, uh, you know, nine foot ceiling or like it's actually eight foot nine or whatever in my dining room just feels really comfortable and good, especially with that wood ceiling. We're such complicated mammals, aren't we? We are. Uh, and um, yeah, I think that I think that when you're one thing you're expressing is that we're complicated. And so when you're seeing a wood ceiling, especially if you can see the wood grain or the wood texture like we can on this table, these are actually like kind of chaotic random patterns whereas like just a, a white surface if this was just a white surface it's very different and this it, is called a high fractal image hmm. versus a low fractal image so people that are like in downtown all the time 
they're more so they, that's 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 a low fractal environment versus a high fractal looking at trees or water or mm-hmm, wood grain mm-hmm. it's associated with depression it's associated with anxiety so there's something and i'm just getting back to, i'm responding to your point about we are mis- mysteries yeah, we're, we're deeply sensitive sure. and um yeah a lot of the buildings I know we're trying to wrap up here. So a lot of the practices that we've inherited from the construction industry, we need to keep in mind, they started in the post-World War building boom. Mm-hmm. And it's just, a, it's just a moment in time in the thousands of years of us constructing. And fundamentally in the post-War building boom, what started was we need a lot of homes fast. Mm-hmm. Cheap, so, fast. And affordable, right. Yeah. And so we have inherited these practices it's kind of like trickle up. But are they the sense. best practices? Right. Like, you know, people talk about trickle down economics, right? Like, like um, cell phones made their way into society because, but the first early adopters were affluent, you know, airbags in cars, things mm-hmm. like that. What happens in homes, and I mean, even multi-million dollar homes, you get the same mechanical system components that you had in a, I won't name a name, in a production builder home. Yeah. You get the same surface finishes, you know, painted ducks sheet, that are sheet outside rock, of the kitchen space, no yeah, so dehumidifiers, poor flex ducts. Exactly. Even though it's a multi-million dollar house. So we've had trickle up practices oh, and we've optimized for speed, efficiency, low first cost, you know, and not for humans necessarily. Yes. yes. Christoph, really appreciate your time, brother. One last plug for you. Oh, uh, Positive Energy based in Austin, Texas. How many people are on your team now? 19 people, nine engineers, four PEs. We've grown a lot. They're a very large and very smart team. Um, they're not for every house, for every build, but this this service that we're talking about, uh, that we talked about on the, on the video and with this, which is kind of a schematic design, building science look at the house, which yeah. is... Which is uh, uh, probably not how you're you're uh, marketing yourselves, but I'm going to market it as that. Um, is it is building science? Yeah, it is building. We science. call it performance consulting. But performance consulting. Yeah, it's about 10k as a minimum. Yeah, it's around three four dollars per square foot. It's three dollars a square foot. Yeah. Three dollars a square foot. So it's you know less than one percent of your building costs, and you don't have to use them for mechanical design either. You'd actually get quite a bit of mechanical design, at least from the, the active systems uh-huh. for f- with that. This is really good. And what's cool, too, is we mentioned this earlier. Some of the architects you're working with who have used you 9, 10, 12 times on houses for this service are starting to get it. They get daylighting now, and they're changing the way they design houses. Absolutely. And so that's what gets me excited about talking about this is changing the way we design houses. Not hire me to build. I can't build every house. Not hiring you to design uh, the building science and the mechanicals. You can't do that to every house in America. But... One house, one person at a time, we can uh, extol these principles and we can change the way houses are being built in America. And I can tell you, Christoph, just right. anecdotally, the dozen or so years we've been friends, we've changed a lot of how Austin builds houses. Yeah. You and I and others like us and our colleagues and friends out there in the industry, architects and builders. Dehumidifiers, VRF, HEPA filters, ERVs, all probably a lot based of that on local is advocacy. kind of standard in the way we do things. And and it didn't for, used to be. And for my builder friends out there, almost no builders are bidding projects in Austin anymore. We're always getting hired on professional services agreements, and we're saying, "Here's how we build a house. You know, we build with metal trunk lines. 
we put dehumidifiers in as standard now. We may didn't we maybe didn't do that ten years ago. We do it now. Yeah, uh, we've really upped the building game in Austin, and we should. We have and high quality devices all around us. Why is not our home one of them? Why is our home <laughs> not as engineered as our cell phone? Yeah, uh, Christoph, I appreciate all you do for the industry, Ooh. brother. You're an Not amazing great. man, and I meant it when you're one of the smartest people I've ever met in my <laughs> whole life, and so it's a privilege to be your friend, Christoph. Back at you, my friend. Uh, Building Science Podcast is their what podcast. PositiveEnergy.pro. Uh, PositiveEnergy.pro is their website. Uh, and on Instagram, they're also published on Instagram. It's at Building Science ATX. Yep. Is that right? Uh, on Instagram. Uh, uh, Miguel uh, over Walker, on Christoph's mm -hmm. team also is publishing on those uh, things, and they and they kind of tag team with some great guests in the podcast highly recommend if you're listening to this podcast go right now to itunes and subscribe to them as oh, well um guys if you're not currently a subscriber hit that subscribe button below and remember if you want to watch this podcast uh we're of course mainly listened to but you can see christoph and i's uh beautiful uh slightly oh, yeah. unshaved uh, dirty faces on buildshownetwork.com where we're publishing the video uh version of that that being said, follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on the Build Show <laughs> podcast. <laughs>